You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. Okay, as difficult as it may be for us to speak after these tragic and terrible, disastrous events, a largest proportion, a great, not such a great tragedy of Jewish blood being spilled, hasn't have occurred since the Holocaust. And one day to have so many Jews slaughtered. But as difficult as it is to not to speak, it's even more difficult, I mean, as difficult as to speak, it's more difficult not to speak. And therefore, as we know, the words of Torah, and especially learning the words of Torah in memory of those who perished, in memory of those who killed, and for the safety, for those who we pray for, that God protect them and shield them. And, uh, and therefore, as we stand today together with them in solidarity, but even more so through our prayers and through the Torah that we study today, this will actually be for their benefit and we can stand together with those souls who have passed and with the souls who are fighting that Hashem should protect them. An interesting thing, in, during the Yom Kippur War, um, Yom Kippur War, as you know, started on Yom Kippur, and in the middle of the Yom Kippur War, the Rabbinical Alliance of America wanted to then make a fast day public fast day for all Jewish people to, because of a time of a problems of Jewish people as we see in the Talmud that a fast day is set. They came to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and the Rebbe at that time said we are now in a period of joy of Simcha which is from the time of Yom Kippur until after Simcha's Torah until after Tishrei, Tachman's not said and he said therefore we are now allowed to make a fast day and we will accomplish the same thing through joy and Baruch Hashem we saw that the victory of the Yom Kippur War, even though that unfortunately started off very tragically and very similar to what happened, and in fact it was 50 years to the English date of the tragedy of the Yom Kippur War, and the same similar type of event where Israel was a little, um, let's say, complacent into what happened, and the same tragedy unfortunately happened. But uh, we know that we'll come out stronger and healthier and more victorious than before as we stand in this time. And this year is actually a very unique uh, situation where we have the ability to study the entire Torah reading of, of uh, Chumash Bereshis. And I actually want to mention that we have our friends, the Rodbarts in Israel, who are in Chadera, and they're actually watching right now. They want to say that they're fine, so I'll share that as well. Um, but the uh, <clears throat> this year we have an opportunity to study the Torah reading of Bereshis, not always do we have that opportunity because sometimes when Simcha's Torah comes out on a Friday, so then right away you have Shabbos, so there's not always the opportunity to uh, study about the Torah reading of Bereshis. But today we do have that opportunity to learn about the Torah reading of Bereshis, which Bereshis is the beginning, the genesis of the world and the genesis of creation. And it's fascinating that the first Torah reading, the first verse in the Torah, that God says, I have gracious Baralikim, it's God created the heaven and earth. Rashi, the commentary, asks, Why does God begin the Torah by saying, I created the heaven and earth? 
What does that have to do with any law? What does that have to do with any mitzvah? And Rashi comments and says, because there will be people in every generation who will come along and say, the land of Israel doesn't belong to the Jews. And therefore God begins the Torah saying, I created the heaven and earth, and I am the one that gave the land of Israel to the Jewish people and will be eternally theirs. So this teaches us a very important lesson, especially in our time and day that we're dealing with the tragic news, that we should focus more on the positive, that first of all we're in a time that's happened in Simchas Torah, where the joy of the Torah will not be, will not be diminished and will not be extinguished. Try it as it may, for 3,000 years they tried to get us, and we are here to tell the story, and they are not. And we'll continue to pursue, and through Torah and mitzvahs we'll continue to persevere. So let's go back to the beginning of the book of Genesis. Well, Genesis, the word Genesis means how it all happened. And let's look back at one of the things, the source, if we want to call, of all problems that we suffer from today. The source and the time when evil finally came into the world, when evil changed the view of the world, where human beings became all of a sudden fallible, and where human beings at the time were brought into the situation where evil tried to create a dominance. The moment where, at that point in history, everything changed. Before this moment, people were going to live for eternity. There was no evil that existed, at least evil in the form that we know it today. And only after the first human beings went against God's wishes and did not follow what God told them to do, they and us eventually suffer the consequences until today. But what had happened? How did it all happen? How is it possible that Adam and Eve, the creations of God, they were the single people in the world. They were the ones that ultimately brought about its destruction, if you want to call it. But how is it possible that only moments after they were created, they had the ability to rebel and to go against what God told them? To the extent that God comes to them and asks them, Ayeka, where are you? What did you do? And listen to the answer that Adam and Eve give God. And it is that answer, not only that answer, not only that word, but in one vowel, we can understand and appreciate and realize the mistake that they made. What happens? God comes to Adam and Eve, and he says, Ayeka, where are you? And he says, I hear your voice in the garden, but you are naked. And therefore we hid. God responds. Who told you you were naked? That you decided to hide. Didn't I tell you from the tree you should not eat? What did Adam respond? The wife you gave to me, she gave me the fruit, and I was going to eat. What is, God turns to Eve and says, the snake convinced me, and I was going to eat. That means the word in Hebrew, ochel, and I will eat. It doesn't say, ve'ochalti, and I ate, but it's in future tense. What does this mean? Did they not eat it until now? Were they only eating it and coming up, going to be in the future? The Medrash says, look at the words. It doesn't say, ve'ochalti, and I ate, it says, Va'ochel, and I will eat in the future. What did Adam and Eve say over here in their words? 
Adam and Eve understood that by eating from the tree of knowledge, it's not something in the past, but they are forever going to regret that bite that they took. It is not something that's bygone. It's okay, I ate from it, it's done, it's over with. Let's move on. Va'oichel, they continue to eat. This has an everlasting effect, an eternal effect, that they now became controlled by something else other than themselves. By eating of the tree of knowledge, they all of a sudden became controlled by that craving, by that desire to eat from the tree of knowledge. They no longer had the self-control over themselves, but they became controlled by what they ate. What they ate now was their dominant feature, was going to be the controlling feature of their life. But what happened there? What happened that they just ate from the tree of knowledge and all of a sudden this virus that came into them all of a sudden plagued them for future generations? What was wrong with eating from the tree of knowledge? Is knowledge that that bad? That by eating from the tree of knowledge they were doomed and gloom forever? That all of a sudden it overtook and destroyed them and all of humanity? What was so wrong about it? Eating of the tree of knowledge. Even more so. If you look at the story and the dialogue that they have back and forth with God, it was only after they ate from the tree of knowledge that they realized their nakedness. Why did they not realize that they were not dressed until now? Were they not embarrassed beforehand? Did only knowledge give them the ability to be embarrassed that they should say, oh, I'm naked and therefore they're hiding and God has to give them fig leaves to be able to give them the ability to get dressed? Did they, were they missing intellect? What was the tree of knowledge about it? We know that Adam was very intellectual. He was able to see and decipher what all the animals are all about. He was the one that saw the makeup of every animal to give them its name. Did they not know? Were they not intellectual that they needed this tree of knowledge? Or maybe you want to say they didn't understand what bad is. And bad and evil only came into the world after they ate from the tree of knowledge. But that won't seem right either. Because the very fact that God told them, don't eat from the tree of knowledge, that can be the negative. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge. That's the bad that existed. Even more so, God tells them and he put them into the Garden of Eden. And the words of the verse are, that God puts them into the Garden of Eden, la'avda, to serve it, ulashamra, to protect it. That means that they have over here, there is protection that they need to do. Protect it from what? It must be evil influences. So what's going on here? What did they not know beforehand? What did they know afterwards? Why were they so tempted by it? And all of a sudden it brought them to a level of embarrassment. That brought about this only after the eating of the, uh, the tree of knowledge, only after the sin of the tree of knowledge, did they all of a sudden need garments to be able to go clothe them and to protect them from this uh, problem of embarrassment or that they were naked. And we're talking about over here a very mystical and trying to esoteric story that it's very hard to understand what's going on here. And in fact, if you look in many of the commentaries, while they look to expound on the creation of the world, in this little dialogue that exists between God and Adam and Eve and the whole story of the tree of knowledge, there are some that shy away from explaining the story totally. Some want to say it's just an allegory, some type of explanation that we have to learn of how we have to behave and recognize the evil that exists in the world. But as we know, this is a story in the Torah. And a story in the Torah and every part of the Torah is a lesson that we can learn from life. And the Maimonides in his Guide for the Perplexed, and as well in many Hasidic texts, expound on the concept that happened here with the first sin, 
and the tree of knowledge. And we're going to take a little bit of a dive into the story to have a better understanding and appreciation of what sin is all about. By understanding the sin of the tree of knowledge, by understanding what happened here, we can also then reflect of how we, many thousands of years later, come to sin and what sin does to a person and what causes a person to sin. Maimonides in the Guide for Perplex puts it this way. And he explains that basically what happened with the tree of knowledge was the loss of the inner voice within inside of us. The able to, the, it took away the gap that existed between the evil influences and the godly influence. The voice within us and the voice was outside of us. What happened with the sin of the tree of knowledge, all of a sudden the knowledge came and said, what's most important is what I desire. What's most important is what I feel, how I like it. And when we all of a sudden focus on the I, we lose focus of what is important and what is right. As unfortunately we see the decline in today's day and age, it all of a sudden goes by people's feelings, and if I have feelings, even facts don't matter anymore. The I automatically destroys and changes things. What would, what's the correction? How do we fix the sin of the tree of knowledge? It's an automatic, is a type of psychoanalysis to stop believing or to, stop real, or to start realizing who is this inner voice that's getting us to convince us to do things. To be able to define and recognize the difference between the falsehood that's coming and what's true. Give you a little example where sometimes the evil inclination can attack no matter who it may be, even to the greatest, smartest people. There was a very famous person by the name of John Nash, one of the greatest mathematicians in the 21st century. In 1994, he won the Nobel Prize for uh, economic reasons and for mathematician. Unfortunately, when he was about 30 years old, he had schizophrenia. Schizophrenia to the greatest worst. He always believed that there was these people in red that were chasing him. And because of that, he started writing articles and calling people and doing things which were crazy to the extent that he had to be hospitalized. Eventually, after many years of uh, therapy and whatever it may be, he was able, they actually put out a uh, movie about him in uh, 2000 where they were showing about, um, you know, different things where he was having different issues of... Uh, you know, different visions and paranoias and things that were happening to him. And one of the things were that as soon as he comes out of getting his Nobel Peace Prize, he all of a sudden felt that he was being chased. You know, he had this paranoia that was about to overtake him. And they were about to, you know, lock him up and put him back into the hospital because of what was going on. And all of a sudden, he got a hold of himself and he was able to teach himself because of the therapy. He says, no, this is nonsense. He was able to decipher what is true and what is fake. This is the moment of healing. The moment of healing, the moment of understanding and recognizing what comes from the tree of knowledge, what comes from the evil side of us, and what is from the good side of us. That is the moment that we can correct the sin of the tree of knowledge. To be able to identify and to recognize what's lies, what's falsehood, and to be able to get it and nip it in the bud as they say or to quiet it and to be able to allow ourselves to see what is our true thought speech and action when we recognize and realize that these things affect us 
not only affect us in our own physical life, but they affect the way we treat other people, they affect the way we treat our children, the fact that we have in relationships. All of this is a certain type of inner demons, if you want to call it, that keep on haunting us. And we have to know what is that demon and what is that godly voice that's in of us to be able to decipher what it is. And by studying and analyzing the sin of the tree of knowledge, of what happened to Adam and Eve, what convinced them and persuaded them to be able to eat from the sin of tree of knowledge, because you look at the Torah as we're going to go into the story, it's fascinating that they even fell for it. We'll be able to decipher and understand and appreciate how we can fight those inner demons as well. So let's look at the story of Genesis. We talk about God creating the universe, the beautiful universe. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, and finally on day six, he creates the human being. The human being he places into the Garden of Eden, and we know why did God, we spoke about this Rosh Hashanah, why did God create the human being last? To be able to have a world perfect for the human being to come to. But not that perfect, because still the human being had to perfect things. But while the human being was in the Garden of Eden, at the seventh hour, he calls them together and says, as he creates this human being, he says this human being should not be alone. While Adam was able to identify all the different animals that were there, and because of that, two hours after the creating the human being, he also then created a helper for Adam, which was Eve. Adam and Eve together. And God gives them one message. You see all the fruits in the garden? You can eat all of it. All the things that are there you can eat. But there's only one thing you're not allowed to eat. One thing. The tree of knowledge. The tree of knowledge you should not eat from. Why the tree of knowledge? The tree of knowledge has in it a combination of good and bad. Combination of good and bad. Now, this tree of knowledge, I must add, they were not allowed to eat from it on Friday, but once it comes Shabbat, they would be able to allow to eat from it. That's three hours later. The Torah tells us about Eve's creation. And at the time, they had zero embarrassment of who they are and what they look like. The words of the Talmud are that the same way the Medrash explains, the same way a person's not embarrassed about his arm, they were not embarrassed about any other part of the limbs of their body. Because they recognized that everything in their body and everything that God created was for the purpose of the human being. When I know what the purpose of my arm is, there's nothing to be afraid of it. There's nothing to be embarrassed about it. And for that reason, they had zero embarrassment. Every single limb of their body, regardless of what it was used for, was as if their arms and legs and there was no embarrassment about it. Everything God created, and therefore there was nothing to be embarrassed about it. And when God created them at that moment, there was no embarrassment, as the words of the Torah is, they were not embarrassed to see each other. All of a sudden, time passes, and there's a snake. What is the snake? The snake is what we identify as the snake is the evil inclination. The snake is the evil inclination who turns to Chava and says, Eve, did God really prohibit you from eating the, every single piece, of, every single ga- uh, tree in the garden? She said, no. God said, every tree in the garden we can eat. There's only one tree we cannot eat. What's first tactic of the evil inclination? Oh, this is a very restrictive religion. Why do you only have to stay to this type of things? Look how many laws God gave you. You can't eat any of the trees. The first tactic of the evil inclination is to make Judaism, to make religion look something restrictive, difficult to be able to follow. 
When Eve responds and says, no, we can eat whatever we want. All the fruit trees we can eat. She created, she corrected the Satan, the evil inclination. And said, no, just one tree we can't eat. But what did she say? To be able to make it even to enforce and reinforce what God said. She said, not only are we not allowed to eat from the tree of knowledge, but we're also not allowed to touch the tree of knowledge. So the snake said, really? You really think that when you touch the tree of knowledge, you're going to die? Nonsense! And what did he do? He gave her a push that she touched, the, she touched the tree of knowledge. And nothing happened. And he says, you see, what is a person always like? To be inquisitive. To see the magic in things. That's exactly what the evil inclination said. Look, try it out. Nothing happened to you. Be being always tempted to know what's on the other side. You think always the other person has it better. You think if I'm just going to have it, I'll feel on top of the moon. I'll eat from the tree of knowledge. What did the Satan say? Eat from the tree of knowledge, you'll be just like God. You'll know the difference between good and bad. He made the eating of the tree of knowledge like magical, amazing, inquisitive. Getting the individual to have that desire and want and craving to something that seemingly it's not allowed to have. And what happened? You see? Nothing happened to her. So what is the evil inclination come along? The Satan, the, the snake say, look, the only reason why God didn't want you to eat it because he doesn't want you to be like God. What does she do? She says, well, this guy makes a point. So therefore she was, but she's afraid to take from the tree on her own. So therefore, what does she invite her husband and says, oh, why do you come to join with me like this? If we're doom and gloom, it's, you know, misery loves company. We'll be, I love some company. And what did they do together with the inspiration and enthusiasm of the snake, the evil inclination, they ate from the tree of knowledge. The Torah tells us the story in telling, explaining that the snake was the most naked of all animals, meaning it was, it was very tricky the way you did it. But how is it possible, this dramatic scene, the only sin that all of humanity has done, because all of humanity was only two people, Adam and Eve, what's their response after they eat from it? She told me, and I was going to eat from it. Then if a snake convinced me, and I was going to eat from it. Nobody takes responsibility. They lost control over themselves. Who do they say? I did not make the decision. Eve convinced me. The snake convinced me. What does that mean? What happened to them? You, the greatest intellectuals, handcrafted by God, all of a sudden has no opinion? All of a sudden is controlled by a snake, by an evil influence? And of course, what do we see happen? The ultimate plan of God having them stay in the Garden of Eden was scratched. They were expelled from the Garden of Eden. They were decreed upon them that their life will never be the same. And the life of a human being will only be temporary. And that more damage shouldn't come to the world. And ultimately pain, suffering, and death came to the world at that time. And over here we have the same questions that we asked that we in the beginning. Number one, what was so special about this fruit? What happened here? The number one, that the Satan was so excited to be able to get Adam and Eve to eat from it. And what's the big deal? What's wrong if they get the knowledge? The das, eight sadas, what's wrong if they get knowledge? 
It doesn't mean that humans should be like animals. They shouldn't have knowledge. It doesn't make sense that because we know, as we explained before, Adam was pretty brilliant on his own. He was not jumping around like a monkey or living like a lion or a sheep or whatever it may be. He knew exactly what each one of these animals corresponded and what they meant. Knowledge he had. So what was he missing? But if we look, what did the snake say? The Eitz the tree of knowledge, had in it an interesting combination. It had in it the good and bad. Meaning, was it that they didn't recognize bad? Did they not know what bad was? Well, they knew what bad was. They knew they weren't supposed to eat from it. So what was the difference over here? Once they ate from it and after they ate from it. What gave them that opportunity? What gave them the energy? What gave them even the thought process to go against what God said? If they heard from God himself not to eat from the tree, all of a sudden the snake comes along and you're listening to the snake. What's going on over here? There must be a diff- more of a difficult, more something happening here. They understood that God gave them a job and a mission to accomplish. And as we mentioned, our second question is all of a sudden, as soon as they eat from the tree of knowledge, they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed of who they are. Their bodies don't look good anymore. They're looking to cover up. What happened? The moment before they ate from the tree of knowledge, the Torah tells us they were not embarrassed. They ate from the tree of knowledge. All of a sudden they realized, oh, look, my body looks a little different. Your body looks different than mine. And they were being tempted. What happened here? What changed? And the bottom line is what we see over here is sin gave birth to embarrassment. What does that mean? All of a sudden they realized that they were embarrassed. What happens that just because they sinned, they felt embarrassed. And the Medrash explains, the same way a person doesn't get embarrassed about his arm, so too they were not embarrassed about their naked part of their body. But the moment they sinned, all of a sudden, their thought process, the way they viewed their body, was a different way. They didn't view every part of their body the same any longer. They viewed the different parts of their body as something different. And because of that, they were embarrassed. And let's understand this through the lens of Hasidism, which gives us the ability to understand what sin does to a person. Sin, what the tree of knowledge did, or what the snake did to the human being, holds a person captive. The evil inclination all of a sudden becomes the driver, and you lose your ability to decide what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. All of a sudden, people see, you know, unfortunately, we don't need any examples of when a person's kidnapped in the last two days. I'm sure many of you saw different images and terrible images of how people were kidnapped. And they lose their ability. They lose their right to be an individual entity. The same ideas that Tanya explains to us, that our life, we are constantly fighting between two voices within us. The godly voice and the animal voice. The godly voice tells us and sees something as it's an interest of God's interest of the world, to follow what God tells us to do. And every time we have a quest in life, that voice is trying to persuade us or convince us to do what Hashem wants. We wake up in the morning with a great desire to do what God wants, to sanctify God's name, to represent God's name in the world. 
And therefore, he looks at us and the people around us and the people that we see, and we look for a way. How can we inspire another person? How can we help another person? How can we say something good to another person and make a person feel good about themselves? But then the Tanya tells us that on the other hand, there's another voice within us. Another voice who says, one second, why should I be thinking about somebody else? Why should I be thinking about God? Let me take care of my feelings first. Let me make sure I'm feeling good. Let me make sure me as an independent person has everything I need. That means <clears throat> the evil inclination over here looks to be able to see what can I do? How am I going to be successful? How am I going to gain from me? What does this mean for me? That means when a person wakes up in the morning, what's his first thought? Is the two voices are fighting over one says, I'm here for God. And because of that, everything in this world, I look at in a positive way, how I can help and how I can bring good to somebody around me. Or is it all about me? Or is it all about I? What did I gain from it? How am I going to gain from it? What is it going to do for me? How can I make another buck? What does this sin do? Adam and Chava, they were the first people, Adam and Eve, who were created in the image of God. Their innermost voice was holy. They approached life in something valuable and ideological. Their bodies were created by God for one purpose, to procreate. And because of that, they were not embarrassed by anything. That means anything of evil was not inside of themselves. They didn't ingest evil. Evil existed, yes. But it's something on the external, something on the outside. It didn't have anything to do with them. Of course evil existed before the tree of knowledge. God created an imperfect world. But it was not ingested in the human being. It wasn't a desire that they should only think about evil, only think about themselves. It was something outside that I have to protect them, stay away from. And not ingest it. And therefore they shouldn't eat from the tree of knowledge. Because the tree of knowledge had in it a combination of good and bad. So yes, good and bad existed, but not within the human being, on the outside of the human being. What happened when they ate from the tree of knowledge? They ingested evil. They now had that conflict of knowledge within themselves. They had that conflict of the isadas, the, bad and the good and bad within themselves. And because of that, all of a sudden they were stuck in a quagmire. Where do I go? What do I do? I have two voices. One voice is telling me to think about myself. One voice is telling me to think about God. We were stuck. Who is my true identity? Who am I? Am I that godly voice? Am I that animal voice? Am I the voice that wants to sanctify God? Or the voice that has that lust, desire, that will never be able to be satisfied, the craving of satisfying that I, that feelings? The tragedy is that we continue to believe that evil inclination. We continue to believe as the snake was tried, persuaded and convinced Eve that eating from the tree of knowledge is for her benefit is to be like God. We continue to believe what the evil inclinations telling us that to go after our lusts, desires and feelings is for our benefit. While we don't realize that the more we go after our lusts and desires and only think about the I, we are being self-destructive. We don't realize that this all the evil inclination wants to do is gain control over us. And therefore, we'll look for all ways of persuasion, trying to convince us that all the different things we're doing is only for our benefit. We're gaining from it. 
Meanwhile, what's happening? We're becoming more and more captive. We're allowing the evil inclination to be able to become the driver of what our desires and of who we are. Think about it. The Talmud tells us something very fascinating. You know, the evil inclination was looking for a name for itself of how it can convince people to follow and to do evil. If he's called the evil inclination, nobody's going to listen to him, right? So what about Satan? That's not either a good name. Because if you sell your Satan, who's going to listen to Satan? So evil inclination wasn't good, and Satan wasn't a good name. So what did he become? I. Capital I. Think about myself. I have to make sure I am taken care of. I have to make sure that I am done right. A person wants to do a mitzvah, and all of a sudden the evil inclination says, you know what, you first have to have a good night's sleep, you have to take care of yourself, you have to have a good breakfast, if you're feeling up to it, and you're ready to do the mitzvah, okay, but you have to take care of yourself first. You have to be, I, I come first. You can't change your life just because that's what it says in the Torah. You can't just go help that person because that person needs help. Think about it. A guy walks home from work late. His wife says, why are you home late today? What's his first reaction? She couldn't care less how hard I worked. I'm slaving away to make the family, to make ends meet, and all I get is why do you come home late? Little does, she know, does he know that why does she want him to be home early? Because she made a beautiful dinner that's nice, warm, and tasty, and she wants to show her appreciation. But if I only think about myself, it's a one-track minded. It's like a one-way street. You don't see anything else. You become tunnel vision. It's only about me. And therefore, even when somebody wants to love me, I'm going to think they're out to get me. It's called paranoia. But we all suffer from it when we only think about I. Then everything that exists is only against me. Why? Because I need to take care of myself. I need to protect myself. This is the depth of the concept of the idea of the Eitzadas, the tree of knowledge. The Alter Rebbe explains in the third chapter of Tanya, I can have all the greatest wisdom. I can have Chochmah, which is wisdom, Bina, intellect and comprehension, all the wonderful things. But what is Das? Das is about connection. Das is about relationship. Das is about that intimate connection that we have. As we see that, what's the terminology that God uses when Adam and Eve were intimate? And Adam knew Eve. They created a relationship. That it wasn't something, an idea, an ideological idea, but it was something that they brought about in reality. Coming to the stage where a person becomes one, like two halves, that they can't separate from one another. This was the warning that God was telling Adam and Eve about the tree of knowledge. When you eat from the tree of knowledge, what's going to happen is, yes, bad, good and evil exist. But the moment you have das, you created a relationship with evil that will never be able to turn around. You've now created a relationship that you're going to allow somebody to become a driver in the driver's seat. And you'll never be able to get them out of it. It's going to be a constant struggle. And for that reason, ever since we ate from the tree of knowledge, we have that constant struggle with evil inclination. That's why death, suffering, and punishment, and pain came into the world. Because it's the constant struggle that's there that we ingested by eating from the tree of knowledge. The worst part of it is, the worst part about the eating from the tree of knowledge 
is not that it was a bad tree. It's exactly the way the Satan made it. It's a tree that has good and bad. Because in everything in life, there's a good and bad. In thinking of taking care of yourself, there's a good thing. You have to take care of yourself. You have to be healthy to serve Hashem. You have to be healthy to help another person. If you don't take care of yourself, you won't be able to help somebody else. But at what point do we push it so much to the eye that I forget about that there's somebody else? What the tree of knowledge did was to confuse and think that it's only about, that it's a one-way street. When there's a mixer of good and bad and you don't identify evil for what it is, that's when you become all, you know, all far blundered. That's when you get all lost. If you know something is evil, then of course you will take evil and eradicate it. Look at the evil that we're dealing with today. What do they call themselves? Freedom fighters, occupiers. They have all these different names that they want to call themselves. But they're bloody murderers. And what does the world, God forbid, think about these people? Yeah, the, the, the Nebuch, the refugees, we have to have Rahman. Look what these people, savages, bloody. Why? Because when you mix good with bad, all of a sudden you dilute what the bad is. The same way it's in the world, the same way it's in every single one of us. When we need to be able to identify what bad is, the eight sadas would made that confusion. We ingested good and bad. And therefore, when who's in the driver's seat, it's very hard to identify who it is. They say a story with the great tzaddik of Rabnachman of Chernobyl. He was from the first Hasidic master, a student of the Maggid of Mizrich, that he was a very poor person. And he had, whenever he had money in his house, he would take the money and give it to somebody else to help. His daughter was getting married and they needed to make a wedding. So the helper in the house decided that the next time a wealthy person, people used to come give him money for, to pray for them, whatever it may be, when somebody brings a donation to the rabbi, we're going to take it, put it aside, like this his daughter should be able to get married. So, they're so excited. One of the wealthy people come to visit the Rebbe and he knew that the Rebbe needed some money, the Rebbe Nachum of Chernobyl, and he brought him a donation. He says, this is for you to marry off your daughter. Okay, the Rebbe has it. But the next chassid walks in, he was a very poor person who needed money to marry off his daughter. So the Rebbe, the Rebbe Nachum of Chernobyl took that money that the rich person gave him, gave it to the poor person and said, go marry off your daughter. The helper on the side says, Oyve, we just almost had the money. And he just gave it away. So they went over to Reb Nachum of Chernobyl and said, Reb Nachum, you need the money to marry off your daughter. Why are you giving it away? So Reb Nachum says, you know what? You're 100% right. And I knew I need the money to marry off my daughter. But I'll tell you what happened. This rich man gave me the money. And I was about to keep it to be able to marry off my daughter. But then a poor person came in to me and asked me for a donation. And I was thinking like this. Maybe I should take that money that the person gave me and split it up into five. And I'll be able to give help five people. Why should I give all the money to one person? And like this, one of the people that I can help is also my daughter if she needs help. Shreem Nachum said, at that moment I realized that's coming from the evil inclination. Because if all of a sudden I'm starting to have already ideas, split it up into five, and this, somebody's already working on me and that was from the evil inclination. I said, I got to give it all because this is coming from the evil inclination. What we see over here is, the idea means that when we look at something, when there's a mixture of good and bad together, you can't listen to any of it. You have to negate it, you have to first uproot it, get it out of the driver's seat, and only then you can see who the true voice that's talking to you. 
Because when all of a sudden you have the eye mixed in and you give all the different excuses. They're wonderful excuses, but that's exactly what they are, excuses. Legitimizations. And that's exactly what the evil inclination is good at. As when we have that mixture of good and bad, it's very hard to decipher what is good and what is bad. This Maimonides brings in the guide for it to perplex as well. And he talks about it from a philosophical way. You can look at good and bad, let's say not only good and bad, but also the terminology of lies and falsehood. I mean, honesty and lies, or truth and false. You can look at it as a very objective way. That has nothing to do with you. When you look at it objectively, it's very easy to identify. This is a lie, this is true. You look at the stories, you look at the news, you look at whatever it may be, you can, if from an objective way, you can say this is true, that's false. But what happens when it becomes subjective? What happens when it has something to do with you? What happens, you know, you can talk about and pontificate if the world is round or flat, and okay, you can like flat, flat believers, whatever they call them, and round. But that's all theoretic. But what happens when it comes to something which is subjective, where it makes a difference in your own life? Then truth and lies have a whole different perspective. Because it's about me. What do you mean it's not true? It's about me. How can you tell me it's not true? It's about what I like. How can you tell me it's not true? Because when something, and this is the difference that happened when there's a sin. When the sin of the tree of knowledge, all of a sudden, it became subjective. Good and bad was not objective, it was subjective. With, before they ate from the tree of knowledge, good and bad, it was objective. They were able to identify what's good, what's bad. But the moment they ingested the tree of knowledge, they became subjective. I can now understand, now, why were they were embarrassed. The moment they became subjective, I now look at the other person for what they are, in their naked body, for what they are. Not for what their purpose is, but for what they look like. Not for what they are meant to achieve as a godly purpose in this world, but for the desires that my inclination may have. And because God created us with those inclinations, I may have desires. And therefore, automatically, Adam and Eve became embarrassed. Automatically, they didn't see each other as the purpose of procreating. They saw them just as objects. Objects that have maybe different limbs and bodies than themselves. And therefore, they became embarrassed of who they are. All of a sudden, they start seeing each other not as a need, not as something which is there for a purpose, but something that's there to be able to help their craving, their desire. It was no longer looking at the other person, how I can help that person, but it was about how can that person help me? What can they do for my desires? And all of a sudden then there's an embarrassment. Then you start to become embarrassed. As well as we talk about the concept, if we think about it, in general, today, when people wear clothing, it's not only to, so to speak, cover up, but also many people wear clothing to be able to show, look what kind of fancy suit I have, look at how I dress, and so on. So they're more about the externalities of to impress the other person. The whole concept of clothing is about another person, it's not for yourself. You yourself, if you were living on an island, you wouldn't need clothing. The only reason why you have clothing is A, to cover up, not to be embarrassed of what you have, and number two, to maybe for those that embrace others. And that's why the word in Hebrew, beged, which means garment, also comes to the word boged, to rebel. Because it's not who you truly are. You can wear things, you can see a person who's a pauper wearing a thousand dollar suit, it doesn't make a difference who he really is. It's not who you truly are, it's only a garment on the outside. 
And that's why we find sometimes that the great Talmudic scholars, when they looked at their wife, and they, the way they refer to their wife, they refer to their wife as their home, not in a derogatory, because what's the purpose of being married was to build a home together. And therefore, as we see, as the Rebbe explains, that the whole concept that before the sin, every single limb that a person had was there to serve God. And therefore, what was the first mitzvah given to, uh, to humans? Was to procreate. And therefore, they looked at each other as a conduit to procreate. The moment they ate from the sin of the tree of knowledge, all of a sudden, the sin brought temptation. The sin brought cravings. The sin brought all the other things that came with it. Automatically, they were now embarrassed of each other. Another idea that we find about the sin of the tree of knowledge is also another fascinating thing. Some ask the question, why did God even give them that commandment? What was the purpose in giving them the commandment not to eat from the tree of knowledge? God created a perfect world. He could have made that the tree of knowledge they should have. They should only wait. They shouldn't have the challenge of the Nachash only later on. Because in fact, God was teaching them, and this is where they failed, how to overcome sin. When you get everything you want, what's the challenge? God was telling them that life is about knowing a relationship, let's say. The word das comes from relationship. The true relationship is that commitment. Commitment to one and not to something else. What does it mean a person gets married? The concept of marriage is that you're committed to this individual and not to anybody else. A person who's whatever with everybody, there's no relationship. There's no commitment. That's not living life. When you mean living life, you're committed to a job, there's a non-compete, there's a com- everything that you need is a relationship, anything that grows, any person that wants to be able to prosper in life means that there's a commitment and there's something I can't have. And that's what God was teaching the first human beings. That if you want to develop a relationship with God, there is something you can't have. There is commitment means that I'm this, but not something else. That's where they failed. And the moment they said, I want to be like God, because I want to eat from the tree of knowledge, what happened to them? They ingested evil. They said, okay, you're okay, you're a freelancer, you want to do whatever you want. That's where you become the gateway thing God is. They lost their relationship. Because there was a lacking in the relationship. And an interesting just tidbit to add to it. What was the tree that they ate from? According to many commentaries, was the Esra tree. What do we do? When we, to be able to correct it, we take the Yesurik and we bring it together with all the other four kinds, creating a relationship that they severed. But what we see from over here is even more so. Who was the one that corrected, who worked on correcting the sin of the tree of knowledge? Was Joseph. When Joseph was given the opportunity to sin, and if he would have sinned at that time, nobody would have known about it. Not only that, it would have made sense for him to sin. He was a boy at 17 years old, was kicked out of his family, sold down to Egypt. There was no WhatsApp or no uh, phones, no Facebook, Instagram, anything to communicate. Nobody knew where he was. And here of you offered a golden opportunity to be with the wife and the one in charge in Egypt. She could have made him prince of Egypt. And what did he do? He turned it down. He turned it down and he ended up in a cellar for 14 years. Why? Because he didn't sin. He didn't give in to his craving. But what gave him the umph? What gave him the strength to stand up to opportunity of a lifetime? Because if you look at the words in the Torah, he was actually willing to do it. But the last minute, he jumped ship. And he said, I'm not going to do it. And he didn't give in to his evil inclination. What gave him that, uh, what gave him that strength? 
The Talmud says that in an image, he had an image of his father that came to him. And that image of the father gave him the strength that he should be able to overcome and not sin. But what was the image of his father? How did that image of his father change him? Because what he realized was, I'm not here for myself. It's not only about me. It's not only about me. Yes, I can get away with it. Yes, nobody's going to know. But life is not only about me. And what his father reminded him is, he all of a sudden saw the light, saw the truth. He was able to persuade him. That means he saw that there's another side to him than just the evil inclination. It's not only about me, it's about the future generations, about where I come from, where I'm going to go, who I truly am. Don't allow the evil inclination to be the captive. To captive you, you have to uh, be able to catch it. And therefore, what does this teach us? A very important lesson. That many times it's very easy for us to get caught up within ourselves. And we can find a hundred legitimizations for things that we did, whether they're wrong or right. You know why I got angry? Because that person really pushed my button. Or you know why I had to push that person and kick that person or be nasty to the other? Because it was for the right reason. I was standing for the truth. What does we see about Yosef? What did he do first? The vision of his father came to him. He consulted. He asked his father, Maybe this is for the right reason. Maybe I'll be accomplished more for the Jewish people if I would be with this woman. He could have legitimized every single step. But his father told him, no, it's wrong. Because it's exactly what it is. It's a legitimization. You ingested the tree of knowledge. We have good and bad mixed in within every single one of us. It is very difficult at times for us to decipher what is right and what is wrong. And therefore, what does the Mishnah tell us in the ethics of our fathers? Ask a Ask a rabbi. You always have to have a rabbi, somebody that maybe looks at it from an objective angle, who can see what's good and what's bad. Speak to a friend who doesn't see it subjectively, who sees it objectively, and can tell you what I'm doing. Is that because it's I, or is it because it's right? Am I being captive to my evil inclination because I ingested from the tree of knowledge? Am I being from the descendants of Adam and Eve who didn't realize that that craving of the knowledge, tree of knowledge is exactly that mixture of good and bad? Or do I see that this is the right thing should be done? When every single one of us, as we can see, are able to decipher, it gives us a brighter path. It gives us an ability to see things clearly, vividly, and most importantly, it gives us the reassurance that we're doing the right thing. Just like Joseph had his father remind him, each one of us has to look for that message to remind ourselves, why am I doing this? Is it for a greater cause or is it because I is getting involved? The tree of knowledge, the sin of the tree of knowledge is still haunting us. And because of when we have that ability to be able to see evil for what it is, to be able to recognize what we're doing to make sure that it's not about I, but it's about helping another person. We will then merit that time when finally evil will be eradicated once and for all and be reunited with our loved ones, especially those holy souls who were murdered in blood by the bloodthirsty people that God should be able to wipe away all the tears from every single human and bring about the coming of Moshiach. May be now. Amen.